0: Evening, we have a special treat for you. Lauren Bach is going to recite the Passion from Mark chapter 14, 15, and 16. Lauren?
1: Good evening. The Word of the Lord. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large up room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice... You yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup for me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his, his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. They took Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then, some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Yet, even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him struck him with their fist and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I do not know or understand what you are talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she again said to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. <laughs> again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began calling down curses on himself and swore to them, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, The chief priest with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. "'Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews?' asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. "'What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews?' Pilate asked them. "'Crucify him!' they shouted. "'Why?' What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days... Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. <laughs> he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heap insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely, this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Because they were afraid. (laughs) The word of the Lord.
0: Thank you so much, Lawrence. Let's pray. Father, we... um, again and again are so thankful for the word of God and what it tells us about your dear son, about what he did for us, and how he uh, purchased for us this wonderful thing that we call being Christ followers. May your word continue as... Lauren has spoken it, and that's as it's preached. Touch our hearts this night in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verse 1. If you thought that Lauren was just going to share the word and then I was going to be quiet, you're going to be greatly disturbed. Mark 14, there's a handout we've given you. I kind of really like this uh, little stool issue. This is very nice, Lauren. Thank you so much. Mark 14, verse 1. Oftentimes, how we respond to a particular event really is determined by the context that we find ourselves in coming to that event. Let me give you an illustration. Say you come from a a two-and-a-half-hour drive down the 405 and the 5 freeway. The traffic has been horrible. That will, that context, will determine how you respond to what you find at home. (laughs) Uh, Conversely, perhaps the next day you sign the big contract. Now you have at least to three years of solid work for your company. You come home and the context of that event will determine what? How you respond to what's going on in your house. You see, the context oftentimes determines how you respond to a, different, a situation. Different context, different response. Why do I say that? Well, because in the first 11 verses of chapter 14, we see the context for that first Friday, that Good Friday. And we're going to see as we look at the passage that there's four different responses to the same event. Why did one person respond one way and another person respond another way? It's rooted and grounded in what was happening to them as they came to that first Good Friday. I want to look at that this, this evening for just a few minutes. I'm hoping to show you that these responses will illustrate for us perhaps how we have come to this Good Friday. And with that understanding, hopefully, maybe help us to grow and experience all that Resurrection Sunday means for each of us. So let's take a look. The first illustration is found in verses 1 and 2. Let me read it. I'll be reading from the New American Standard, and there is Bibles underneath the seat if you would avail yourself of those. Now the Passover of the Bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. We see here in verses 1 and 2 that some come fighting against everything that the Lord is trying to do in their lives. They're actively opposed to Jesus. From the very beginning of his ministry, they were somewhat skeptical of what he said and what he did. And now at the end of his ministry, after three years... They are openly hostile to him and are seeking to kill him. The issue is really they had a vested interest in not changing. They didn't want to change. They had a vested interest in it. And Jesus represented by his words and his deeds and his actions, he represented change for them, for the temple, for the Jewish people. And they were actively opposed to what he was trying to do. Now it wasn't that Jesus was out to hurt them or harm them. We see in Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11. The heart of the Lord is I take no pleasure in the death or the harm of those who are opposed to me. But rather they would turn and find life. Jesus wasn't out to hurt them or destroy them. He was out to bring them life. But see, they were against him because he represented change and they had a vested interest in not changing. They were fighting against him even though the consequences of their fight would be disastrous. It would be disaster for them personally, for their precious temple, for their beautiful city, and for even the nation of Israel. It was a disaster, but they continued on. Now, perhaps this evening, some of us are like that. We're fighting against what the Lord is trying to do in our lives. Perhaps as believers, there's something happening in your life right now, and you just don't like it. I don't like it, Lord. (laughs) I'm going to fight against you and what you're trying to do in my life. Or perhaps there's some here who have not begun their spiritual journey. And the Lord, when he comes through the word, through the spoken word, through the preached word, is indicating that there's some change needed. Change is needed, and you're actively working against it. Although it could very well, like our dear friends in verses 1 and 2, lead to a disaster in your life. Our first two verses represent people who come to that first Good Friday fighting against everything that the Lord is trying to do in their lives. Even though he tells us, his word tells us that he causes all things to work together for our good. Mm. Let's see the second group. We'll skip by verse three for just a moment. What verse three says, there was a lady who broke a a very expensive vial of perfume and anointed Jesus. But there were some people who didn't like that. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. We'll get back to verse 3 in a moment. But some, responding to Mary's uh, beautiful work, some were indignant, remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii. And the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. This illustrates that some come focused on the cares of this world. They were reacting to Mary's action. But it's careful. It's it's easy to see that their focus was on what? On the money here. Now it appeared that they were very altruistic thinking, oh, well, we'll take care of the poor. But that really is not the issue. The issue was the money. And they were thinking, uh, this money is more important, and what we could have done it, is more important than honoring the Lord. To them, Mary's action was way out of line of what was important to them. In a way, they were saying, by their actions, Jesus wasn't worth the gift. He wasn't worth it. There were other, more important things that they should do with those funds. Hmm. Perhaps there's some who come with that attitude to this good friend. The world has gripped their hearts, and they're much more concerned about the things of this world and this life, rather than honoring Jesus with their thoughts, their words, their commitment, their resources. It's not important. Jesus, you're wasting your time with that Jesus stuff. My job, my things central to life. Perhaps some come with that. But this Friday offers us a chance for change. Let's look at verses uh, 10 and 11. Part of the group that was criticizing her was his fellow Judas Iscariot. Let me read the passage, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and they promised to give him money and he began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. Judas illustrates that some come whose past actions are reaching a climax. Judas Judas seemed to be one of Jesus' disciples. But on this night, who he really was, burst on the scene. Now there are several people, different people, who have different reasons to explain why Jesus, Judas did what he did to Jesus. Some say that he was probing to try and force Jesus to declare the Messianic kingdom now. And bring it on.
1: Hmm.
0: Perhaps. Other gospel accounts tell us, however, that Judas was stealing from the ministry bag money. Hmm. And this points to perhaps a different action or purpose in, Jesus, in Judas. Now, whatever the case, and we can talk about that, he is a classic example of one who appears to be a disciple on the outside, but there's something going on inside of him. On the outside, everything seemed to be in step with the other disciples, but there were forces and thoughts that were moving deep within him. I believe that he didn't get to this place that we find him in verses 10 and 11 with one big step. But a series of things in his life, a series of compromises, perhaps someone would say a a moral misstep, just a misthought, but it became part of who he was, and it was allowed to fester and grow and create other things, other compromises, other moral slips that added one to another to another which gradually eroded all the good that was in him and set the stage for the crisis, the climax, and the disaster that awaited this man. Well, perhaps this night, some of us are in that mode. We've made compromises over the last few months, few days, few years, that's slowly causing us, perhaps everything seems on the outside fine, but deep within our hearts, there's something going on that's driving us to a crisis that soon will explode in our lives. Perhaps. Yet, this Good Friday offers us to come face to face with re- what's really, really going on inside. And a picture, an illustration of where that is heading. Okay. Finally, um, let's look at Mary. Verse 3. I told you I was going to go back to verse 3. That's where we're going. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. Then in verses 4 and 5, we saw that they responded. Then Jesus says to those who are criticizing her and scolding her, he says verse 6 let her alone why do you bother her she has done a good deed to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you wish you can do to them but you do not always have me she has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial truly I say to you whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her here we have an illustration of some who would come who were going all out for Jesus. (laughs) Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. If you go to the Gospel of John, you'll find out. This particular dinner they were having, even though it was at Simon's house, was right after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. This was the night after. And they were having a dinner. And she does something that's totally exorbitant. The commentators tell us that this this money that the, the perfume was worth was a workman's wage for almost a whole year. She just did it all. She went all the way for Jesus. Now Martha was helping with dinner, even though it wasn't her house. She was helping with dinner. But Mary was at the feet of Jesus listening, and then she took the perfume and anointed Jesus. Jesus' words and actions, especially for what he had done for her brother Lazarus, raising him from the dead, brought her to a place where she was not holding anything back. Jesus' words and his actions brought her to a place where she was not holding anything back. She was going All out for Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus said about Iraq. In verses 6 and 7, he points out the priority. Now, we know that Jesus has nothing against helping the poor. Honestly, that's not the problem. What's the problem? It's a priority. Jesus would soon be gone. And he says, The priority. We can always have the poor, we can always minister to the poor, but I am only going to be here. For just a short while. Then he goes on in verse 8 and he adds another dimension. He says, notice what he says. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, I'm not sure if Mary really understood that Jesus was going to die and resurrect. Uh, The disciples, uh, as we can see, in the Easter accounts, in the resurrection day accounts, they were sometimes not, not real sure what was happening. So we're not really sure if Mary knew that when she did that. And perhaps what Jesus is saying, there's another dimension. Yes, she was honoring me with, the, with this perfume, but she was doing something much else. Perhaps uh, this often happens when we do some. When we go all out for Jesus, we think we're doing one thing, and we are. But oftentimes, there's a what—a secondary uh, wave, so to speak, <laughs> a secondary effect of doing something exorbitant to honor the Lord. Uh, perhaps there's some like Mary here tonight. Certainly, we hope so. <laughs> Okay, let's kind of pull it all together. The importance of this study is to recognize where we are at. What's your, let me say this, let, what's your context? What's your context as you come to this Good Friday? Are you in a place where you're fighting against what the Lord is doing in your life? That's possible. Believer, perhaps... Someone who has not entered into that stage in life. Or perhaps um, the things of the world have gripped your heart. That's possible. Or perhaps there's things that are going on in your life, small at first, but now they're growing. And there's a climax and a crisis just down the road. Some of those might be true. Now here's the point. It doesn't have to continue. <laughs> None of those have to continue. You don't have to go down that road. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you continue my word, you'll be my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Hmm. Free from fighting against the Lord because what he wants for you is good and right. Free from the cares of this world. Free from the things that have possessed you and are driving you towards a disaster that perhaps you can't even see. This section of scripture confronts us with the truth of where we are. It confronts us, it absolutely does. now we can turn a deaf ear to that we can or we can accept the truth and find life now remember what Jesus said the thief comes to do what? steal, kill and destroy but I came that they might have life and life more abundantly But we have to see the truth. We have to see the truth about Jesus. We have to see the truth about ourselves. And perhaps, just perhaps, the Lord has brought you here and he's telling you right now it's time for a change. Pray with me, please. Now, perhaps, um, my friends, there's something that you need to do. Perhaps the Lord has spoken to you, and it's time for a change, and I'm going to ask you to do anything other than perhaps to pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm going the wrong way. I can't do this myself anymore. I see that you've come to bring life. I hunger for that life. I turn from my way to do it your way. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I yield my life to you, and I'm trusting you that you'll work those things in my life together for the goodness of my soul. If you prayed that prayer along with me, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, you're welcome to participate in the communion with us. If you prayed that prayer 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 5 years ago, you're welcome, even if you don't attend our church. We have an open communion table, but it's reserved for those who've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So we'll conclude our service with that. Pastor Ryan.
2: For those of us that are in Christ, now we want to remember what Christ has done. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, it says this, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? Remember that the Father gave the Son and poured out his wrath upon sin on his Son. And the Son willingly gave himself. And now the Son offers himself to us we remember that there is no wrath. There is no judgment. There is only grace and forgiveness now for those who are in Christ. Verse 20. And in the same way he took the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In the Old Testament, a covenant was ratified or confirmed with a blood sacrifice. When Jesus took the cup and he handed it out, he said, this confirms the promise that there is no judgment for you. This promise has now been made firm. Remember that. So will the ushers please come forward? Father, we remember that our debt is paid, and now we worship you.